For today, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 28, because we are finishing Acts today. What? I don't even know when we started this book. Uh, it's been that long for me anyways. I think it was last year sometime. Um, I don't know. A lot's happened in the year. I don't know if you know that. Um, things have happened that uh, I think my brain was left in 2020 somewhere along the road, and I just haven't found it since then. But so I, what I do know is we've been walking through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, and this has been just really a cool adventure for us to go on. Um, kind of walking with Dr. Luke as he's, you know, kind of documenting the church history, the, the birth of the church and all that good stuff, where it started and, and just the upper room and the Holy Spirit falling on those guys and, and, and then just people getting saved and, and, and going out and churches being planted and the world being turned upside down. And, and most of Acts has we've followed the Apostle Paul, and, and this is kind of the, the close of his journey, so to speak. Just so you know, like at the end of this chapter, it's not like Paul's, you know, being marched to death row and he, he dies immediately after this thing is done. More likely, he lived about six years beyond this account of, of, of Acts. Uh, and even the imprisonment that we see, he probably was released and then rearrested later on, and then that's when he loses his life. But Sometimes we read the book of Acts and we think like, and it's, it's the very end of it, and we think like, oh, then Paul dies and that's it. And it's like, well, not technically. Um, he still had a few more years left that the Lord was going to use him. Um, but as I told you guys last week, um, I love Acts chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28. The, the, the chapter I'm most excited about concerning Acts is Acts chapter 29, because that's the chapter we live in, right? Because the Acts has not, it hasn't finished yet. When the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, is done doing his things for the most part here on this planet and the church is raptured up, well, then that's the last chapter of the Acts. The church age is done, okay? So we're not there. So, um, so just so you know, what you're a part of today, it, this, is, this is why you're not spectators, you're participators. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're a part of the book of Acts to whatever degree that is for you and how God has called you and the gifts that he's given you to and that he expects you to use, um, you're, you're just right in there with the story. The story goes on. The story goes on, okay? So context, where are we at? We just had a, uh, a shipwreck. Um, you guys know the, the story. They're, they're trying to get to Rome and they, they were on one ship, then they jumped onto a, a cargo ship basically and then they're out in the Mediterranean Sea getting tossed around like crazy because of a supernatural hurricane that's lasted 12 to really 14 days. This storm has, and the storm's not even done. Even in Acts chapter 28, the storm is not done. Um, but that threw them all off course, and, and they end up uh, being shipwrecked on an island. And that's where we left off last week, where they, they grabbed hold of planks and they, they caught the surf to the shore, Right? And that's what they did. So now they're on this island. We know this island as Malta. Um, and, and so this is where the story picks up. So they all survived. God told them, he, the angel showed up and, and ministered to the Apostle Paul and said, hey, don't be afraid. You're all going to make it. Everybody stays with you. You will all survive. Okay? 
So they all, they stuck it out, which is a, a credit to even the non-believers on the boat who were like, okay, so if we stick to this little Jewish guy, we're going to make it. That's your only hope. That's your only hope. Sweet. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy closest to the Apostle Paul. If I'm on that boat, I'm like, you're not going anywhere without me, okay? I'm going to hold onto your arm wherever you go because if you're my key for safety, I, I'm sorry, but I'm fighting through all of you to get next to that guy, okay? That's the thing. You got 200, 200, you got prisoners, you got sailors. They all make it to the shores of Malta, uh, this, this island that's inhabited, as we're going to see, not by barbarians. I don't know what your translation is going to say. My, I'm going to read out New Living Translation. Um, unfortunately, the translators have deemed or labeled these, the people of Malta as barbarians, barbar, meaning they don't speak Greek which is, you know, just unfortunate because then that makes them seem like they're not as intelligent as other people. Just because somebody doesn't speak your native tongue doesn't mean they're not intelligent, okay? Right? They probably know more languages than you do, okay? So just let's, let's chill out about labeling people and all that stuff because that's, we kind of deal with this to a certain extent. You got natives, but they're not, they just don't speak the language, but they're beautiful people, beautiful people. Look at this, Acts 28 verse 1. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. Um, the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy. Why is it rainy? Because the storm is still going on. That's why it's rainy. This freak supernatural hurricane that they shouldn't last this long is still going. It's cold and it's wet. This is during the winter season as well. So, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. These are the islanders, right? And we're Galveston. We're the islanders, right? So we're like, yeah, um, you come visit us. Hey, we'll build you a fire. Uh, well, we want to welcome you to this island. That's what they're doing. They, they witnessed the shipwreck. And so now they see all these, these guys floating on planks of wood, catching the surf to the shore. They know they, they're cold. They know they're wet. And so these natives reach out to these foreigners, they build them a fire. They build them a fire. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, you've probably experienced something like this. This is what makes missions so fun. I've been on several mission trips, uh, and I've been showed just amazing acts of hospitality. I remember going down to Mexico one year as a college student, and um, our host family, they made us t-shirts, but then they made a mistake of making us some homemade tamales. Um, so you got like a couple of college guys, and uh, they just put a plate on the table, piled high of tamales. And I'm like, there's more, right? Because, uh, and we just devoured them. But they were just like, they just kept piling them onto us. Like an endless supply, all you can eat tamales. And we loved it. And it was just their way of saying like, we love you. This is like our expression of we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, I experienced that to a certain degree down in Peru. Um, what's funny about that one was, you guys know me, I'm not like, I just, germs are not my deal, right? Like, they're just not. Um, but Pastor Bill, he went on the trip before I led my youth team down there, and he comes back, and he's like, it's fun, it's really cool, people are beautiful, they're very sweet. He's like, but there's this one grandma of the tribe, um, and she makes this drink, and it's like a fermented drink, and I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, but she chews on this thing, and then she spits into the drink, and I'm like, I'm not going, I'm out. I'm like, I'll go on the boat, three-hour boat ride into the jungles. Uh, I don't mind that. I'll go backpacking through the jungles. Fine, whatever. Mosquitoes, all this stuff. I can't, because I, if I'm in front of that lady and she offers me, this is, this is, you know, my gift to you. And I'm like, I have to drink it. 
praise God, we didn't encounter that when we went down there. I don't know where she was at that day, but I was like, oh, the whole time I'm just sweating this, meeting this one lady, right? It sounds so just bad, American. Um, but it's, it's that thing of like, no, this is, we're going to give you our best. We're going to offer to you our best. I love this because this is just a, people of Malta, they see that the people are coming ashore. They're wet, they're cold, it's rainy, it's all this stuff. So what do they do? They just naturally welcome these strangers and they build them a fire. They're just going to show them some hospitality, right? They're going to minister to them and to their needs. They know they're not going to stick around. They know that these guys are going to catch the next boat and leave. But for this moment, for this moment, not even knowing who these guys are, probably identifying them as Romans for the most part, they were going to extend some hospitality. They were going to meet their needs for however long they were going to hang out. For however long they were going to hang out, right? So... They build them a fire, everybody's sitting around the fire and all that good stuff. We see, you can visualize this going on. Verse 3 is, Paul gathered an armful of sticks or some firewood. Now, this is where it messes, it messes things up, okay? This is the Apostle Paul. He has earned a right because he predicted that the, the boat was going to go down, okay? He said, look, it's a bad idea if we leave Fair Havens, the, the ship's going to go down. They didn't want to listen to him, and then as the ship is going down, he's like, hey, excuse me, fellas, um, I told you so, okay? I told you this was going to happen. He's, he's a prisoner, yes, but he's also a man of respect. Um, they know there's some sort of importance, if I could say it that way, about him. So why is he the dude picking up firewood? Because that's what you do. I don't care what your title is. I don't care how famous you are. When it's time to pick up firewood, go pick up firewood. That's what you do. If you're the Apostle Paul or you're some other prisoner on there, if, if it needs more kindling, if it needs more firewood or whatever, then you go and do that. None of us are above gathering firewood. And I hope that's a lesson we see from the Apostle Paul. Because in the church world, and where I'm standing from here, a lot of these guys never gather firewood. You make it to this level, unfortunately, a lot of these guys, don't, they stop gathering firewood. Well, that's why I hired so-and-so. That's why we got so-and-so. Well, I don't have time for that. No, you do. Go pick up some sticks. You were shipwrecked along with everybody else. Be a good example. Go pick up some firewood. That's good advice for all of us within the church. Can you do something? Good. Then go do it. Go do it. Yeah, are you cold? Yeah, we're all cold. Is it wet? Yeah, we're all wet. We're all wet. So the fire's going out, just get up and get some more sticks. Like there's a lesson we could spend all day on this. This should be the mentality of all Christians. The fire's going out, find some sticks. Don't wait for somebody else like, well, who's the lowest on the totem pole? Make that guy get the firewood. No, that's not how it works. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. We've turned this leadership thing into this, like, you want to make it to this level so you never have to gather firewood. Biblical leadership is, you're always gathering firewood. You're always gathering firewood. You never stop. The moment I stop gathering firewood, so to speak, and I'm just using this as an example, then something's gone wrong within my heart. My head has gotten too big. I've probably have elevated myself. I think more of myself than probably what I ought to. Now, there's another dynamic to this. 
early on in the book of Acts where they were having trouble with serving tables. And the apostles were trying to do it all, and they couldn't do it all. So that's why they raised up deacons, right? And then they, individuals full of the Holy Spirit, they helped serve tables so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and to the teaching of the word. So there's the balance there. there. That has to be it. I'm the guy who probably will spend too much time gathering firewood and not enough time in prayer and in studying in the word, okay? I'll be honest with you. That's my tendency because I'm the busy guy. I like to go and do busy work and I can't sit still. You know that, right? There has to be a balance, but we're all here to gather firewood. We're all here to serve tables. We're all here to serve tables. And when it's time to if you have the gift of teaching and preparing lessons, well, you need to put in the work for that. There's a time to make sure you devote the proper amount of time for that. But here's the Apostle Paul. He gets up and he goes and gathers firewood. He gathers sticks and laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat, bit them on the hand. So there's snakes. I, nobody like, if you like snakes, um, we can set up some special counseling for you. Um, you're not supposed to like snakes. Read Genesis chapter 3. You're not supposed to like them, okay? That's the deal, right? I think we have that arrangement with these guys, okay? They might be cool to look at and all that stuff, but here's Paul just trying to do a good thing, and the snake bites him on the hand. Have you ever experienced that? You're just serving. You're just trying to do good things. And then the snake comes out and he bites you. It happens a lot within the church. And that's why a lot of people within the church will sometimes stop serving because they're tired of getting bitten by the snake. The snake's always looking to bite you. And if I can use this in that way, the snake from Genesis chapter 3 is still the same snake of today. So you get your hands dirty in ministry. Be prepared to be bitten by the snake. But it won't kill you. But it won't kill you. Does that mean you stop gathering firewood? If I wouldn't have picked up the sticks, I would have never got bit by the snake. Yeah, then the fire would have went out. And everybody suffers when the fire goes out. You can survive the snake bite. You can survive the snake bite. Now, don't go crazy and do the snake handling thing. Don't, don't, that's dumb, okay? I'm sorry, but that's just foolish. We're, I don't, and don't go out tempting Satan and all that stuff. Just serve Jesus. And be prepared to get bit a few times by the snake along the way. Because that's what happens. Welcome to Christianity. Nobody's going to tell you this. Nobody's going to preach these messages. Because that doesn't really sell. Right? What we want is like, no, no, no. Come to Jesus and, every, and sit around the fire. Let somebody else gather the wood. Let somebody else get bit by the snake. What Jesus wants for you is comfort. That's a lie. That's a lie. What Jesus wants for you well, it's the fire going out. Go pick up some sticks. But what if there's a snake in there? You'll be all right. I don't like snakes. I don't want to get bit by a snake. I don't like feeling the sting of ministry. There's wounds that come with this deal, and you guys know that, I think. If you've ever served to any degree, you know that there are wounds that come with this. But it will not kill you. But it will not kill you. Okay? Here's Paul throwing some firewood onto the fire, and this stupid snake jumps out and bites him on the hand. And you can just visualize this. This is the way my brain works, where he's just like, oh, man, would you look at that? Snake's hanging from his hand. Ugh, right? Like, gross. Like, shakes it off into the fire. 
the natives. This is what's so cool about this story. Because just put yourself on the beach of Malta, right? It's overcast, it's gray, it's raining, it's cold, but there's a fire, and you're sitting around this big circle with some Romans and some, some prisoners, and there you are, and you're watching this strange history tells us. I mean, Paul, he's probably a small, short Jewish man, okay? Just got bit by the snake. We know the snake. We've seen that snake. And we know when people get bit by the snake, they either swell up or they drop dead. So Paul's like, he gets bit, says the people of the island, verse 4, saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice, and technically in this, this translation, justice should be capitalized because this is a reference towards a, 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 Roman god, a Roman goddess, actually. Justice will not permit him to live. Oh, he survived the shipwreck, but he's going down for sure because he's done something bad because snakes don't just bite good people. Well, wait, that's not true. <laughs> Number one, who's a good person? Nobody. There's none good. No, not one. We know that. There was one good, and, this, and, the, and he squashed the snake's head with, with the heel of his foot, okay? Same as Jesus. But they're looking at this, they're like, oh, this is like karma, right? Like, he's done something bad, and so now it's catching up to him, and where he's just going to die. He made it out of that shipwreck, but now he's going to drop dead. Verse 5, Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. And the people waited for him uh, for, to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. <laughs> right? So from one extreme to the other. They're just, can you imagine just being the Apostle Paul? You're like there, warming your hand. You're like, oh man, that stupid snake bit me and... Lord, I hope this doesn't kill me. Please, like, save me. You know, that's what I would be praying and be like, oh, great. Um, great, great. I just survived the shipwreck, and now I'm going to die because of this stupid snake, right? So I've been praying. I would have been praying. And so, but the whole time, these, these natives are just, like, staring at them, right? And they get uncomfortable, I think, after a while. You're like, why are you guys watching me? Like, stop. Like, but they're just waiting for them to die because that's, that's their experience, do a little research. There are four known snakes on the island of Malta. None of them are venomous. None of them. What happened to the venomous snake? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Is this the wrong island? Could be. There's some venomous snakes in the Mediterranean, some of the islands in the Mediterranean. There's like over 200 islands in the Mediterranean, okay? Lots of islands. Were they, one, were they on one where there were venomous snakes? I don't know. Did they just die out? I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter. There's a snake that bit them, and the islanders are like, that's a bad snake. <laughs> and so I'm going to trust these islanders and that they know, because somebody may show up in your life and be like, oh, well, but what about Acts 28? And on Malta, there's no poisonous snakes at all. So the Bible's wrong. And you're like, well, that's 2,000 years ago. We don't know what happened to those snakes. I don't know. There are venomous snakes in there. So maybe it, maybe it was on the boat with them. Maybe the snake was on the boat with them and caught a plank to the shore. I don't know. What, what I do know is the islanders knew what the snake was, and they knew that is bad, and that dude's dead. And then when he, when he didn't drop dead, they were like, okay, wait, change of plans. Not a bad guy. That's a god. He's a god, right? So one extreme to the other, and, and we just leave it at that. Paul probably corrected them 
it's not stated that he did or, or that he didn't, um, but this was their thought that was going on in their brains. So as they're camping out there, they're going to be on this island for like three months or so. Verse 7, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to uh, Publius, the chief official of the island. He's a Roman official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly there for three days. As it happened, his father, Publius's father, was ill with fever and dysentery. Um, dysentery happens very common in this region because of, you know, sanitation and things like that, okay? Just so you understand. Um, so he was sick with that, and Paul's going to go and minister to this guy. Um, he's got fever. He's got dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laid hands on him. Laying hands on him, he was healed. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. All the other sick people on the island. This is crazy. This is insane. Where Paul's like, he's there. They're like, there's something special about this guy. He survived the shipwreck. He got bit by the snake. He didn't die. We think he's a god. Um, and now he's, he's praying for people and they're just getting healed. And this is just, this isn't anything about the Apostle Paul. This is all about Jesus. And this is like validating the fact that the message that Paul was carrying was legit. That's all it is. He could have started his healing ministry on the island and been the superhero, the superstar of the island. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about the healing. It wasn't, it's about the gospel and how God can use healings to validate the message, to prepare the hearts for the message. Healings happen. Healings happen. They still happen today. But it's not about the healing. It's about Jesus. The healing should direct people towards him. Not the person who may have laid hands on them and prayed for them or has this dynamic ministry and all that good stuff. It's not about them. They're the vessel. It should always be about Jesus. It should always be about Jesus. And that's what's going to happen. We don't know what ends up happening on this island as far as salvation or anything like that, but we know that they spend months there because they've got to spend the winter season there before it's safe to, to get to Rome. And what we know about the Apostle Paul is if he's healing people and everybody's showing up to be healed, I bet every single one of those people are hearing the gospel as well. He will never waste an opportunity. It says, uh, verse 10, as a result, we were showed, uh, showered with honors. And when time came to sell, people supplied us with everything we could need for the trip. And that's just the beauty, man. That's like, they show up on this island, the shipwrecked on this island, the natives there, welcome them in, make them a fire. They see Paul and his actions and how he lived basically on mission they had needs. They, they met the needs of the ones who needed it the most at that time. And then Paul was freed up and available to meet the needs that were needed the most representing on the island. And that was sicknesses and things like that. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful when that works that way, right? That's why we should be nice to each other and seek ways that we can minister to each other, show hospitality towards each other. Because we need that. If you see somebody who's cold and wet and whatever, build them a fire. Build them a fire because you don't know somewhere down the road, that same person that you reached out to and displayed hospitality towards, you're going to need them in your time of need. That's how the body of Christ works. We, we serve each other. We help each other out. Maybe today you need the warming of the fire and maybe tomorrow I will need the warming of the fire, so to speak. That's why we do church. That's what it's about. It's not about 
the show, it's not, it, it, nothing about what, we, what we've made it out to be. It's about, we're in this together. So let's make him the superstar. Let's make Jesus the, the thing. And let's go to heaven, cruising through this earth, telling people about Jesus and having a blast doing it. You get to do that here, only here. On this side of heaven, only here do you get to tell people about Jesus. When you're in heaven, you're never telling anybody about Jesus because he's there. He's there. So be like the Apostle Paul. Get shipwrecked. You may feel like you're shipwrecked. Hey, how can the Lord get glory from your shipwreck? Seek it out. Man, he'll use you. He'll use whatever circumstance he is allowed, uh, allowed to happen within your life so that he can be glorified. And you'll have a blast doing it. That's the thing. But again, in the midst of having a blast and all that stuff, expect to get bitten by a few snakes. That's just how it goes. That's how it goes. I'd lie to you if, if I had said like, oh, that'll never happen to you. I, I don't know how many wounds I have from snake bites. We all carry these things. So don't run away from them. Run towards him. Run towards the Lord. So here we go. We're finally going to get to Rome. And this is like the closeout of this, this book, really, uh, of this time frame with the Apostle Paul. It says, it was three months, verse 11, uh, after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship uh, that had wintered on the island or at the island, the, an Alexandrian ship. Um, again, that's one that carries wheat from Alexandria, from Egypt, up to Rome. This one had the twin gods as its figurehead. Um, those guys are named, I can't remember, Castor and Pollux, right? They're two sons of Zeus. If you know anything about mythology and all that stuff, are they real? No, they're not real. But we'll put them at the front of our boat because we hope that these things will keep us from sinking, okay? That's, we don't need a mermaid. We want these two guys because they're known to protect sailors. So you can imagine the ones who were shipwrecked being like, that's the boat we want on, right? Because the last one had a mermaid and we went down, right? That's maybe what they're thinking. They're like, get us on that boat. Um, it doesn't matter what image is carved on the boat. This is the right vessel that the Lord is going to use to get them to Rome at the right time, okay? says so our first stop was uh, Syracuse, Syracuse uh, where we stayed three days. Uh, from there, we sailed to... Uh, Rehegium. I don't even know how to say that. I think that's what it says. Um, you may know better than I do. That's fine. Uh, a day later, we, uh, a south wind began blowing, and so the following day, we sailed up the coast to uh, Putoli. Uh, there, we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came, and so we came to Rome. So along the journey, how, where did these guys come from? In Putoli, Calvary Chapel Putoli. Where, who planted that? We don't know. We don't even know how they got there. Maybe they were Christians in Rome and there was a dispersion that had happened. And so maybe they were booted out of Rome at one point in time and they went there and planted a church. No clue. We have no clue who these people are. We have no clue what these people ever did. They're a small little church on a coastal town and they got, they got a blurb mentioned about them in the Bible. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We have no idea. Like, what was their programs like? No, we don't know. We have no idea. They just ministered to the Apostle Paul for a, for a week. And that's what's said about them. And that's a, pretty, that's a pretty rad church. That's a pretty cool church. Like, who cares? They weren't known for anything. They're known for that. I'll take that. I'll take that. 
What's Calvary Galveston known for? Well, we just, we love strangers when they show up on our shores. We welcome people into the building. We, we preach the Bible. We talk a lot about Jesus. We share the gospel a lot. We pray for each other. We care about each other. We're just hopefully an inviting, welcoming church that cares nothing about our reputation in the sense of, I just, we just pray that people show up and they say, man, those people seem to love each other and they love me. But more than that, they love Jesus. That's all. That's all. That's kind of what you get from this church. They show up there and they're like, hey, Paul, you and Luke and whoever else, you guys come and hang out with us for a week. We want to take care of you guys. And that's all that's ever mentioned about them. And that's a perfect thing for a church. That's all they needed. That's all they needed. So they stop up there. They find brothers and sisters there. They're ministered to there. And uh, it's, then, then they make their way into Rome. Verse 15, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming. And they came to meet us at the forum uh, on the uh, Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. Uh, sounds like a Harry Potter thing. Um, at the three taverns. Uh, I don't know what it is, but that's just always what's possible in my brain. Um, when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging at his expense, um, though he was guarded by a soldier day and night. So here it is. He makes it to Rome. He, he can have his own lodging. He's got to pay for it, right? But he's going to be chained to a soldier, so to speak, and they'll rotate soldiers every like six hours. So whatever poor fellow gets chained up with Paul has six hours of listening to this dude talk nonstop about Jesus and the gospel and the journeys and all the adventures. So it's no wonder when he would write some later letters and say, hey, the whole household, the whole household what, greets you, saying, basically telling us this. All those dudes who kept getting chained up to me, they kept getting saved. They kept getting saved. But Paul, you're in prison. You're a prisoner. He's like, I'm not a prisoner. I was never a prisoner. They were the prisoners. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I'm a slave by choice to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would say. If I'm a prisoner, I'm a prisoner to him. I am not a prisoner to anybody on this planet, anybody on this earth. If you're connected to me, you might be the one who's in prison, <laughs> so to speak, because I'm just going to tell you about Jesus, and you can't run away from me because you're stuck with me for six hours. So they got to be there with him, chained with this dude. As he's like, you know, maybe dictating a letter to, you know, for somebody else to write down. And, and he has to hear Paul saying this and telling, you know, reciting 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or the book of Titus. These soldiers are hearing Paul as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're hearing the word of God being written. And they're getting saved. Paul's like, I'll take it. I'm not in prison. I'm not in prison. I'm no longer a slave, right? I, that, was, that was done. That was set. I'm set free. So it goes on a little further, detail-wise. Three days later, or three days after Paul's arrival, he had uh, called together the local Jewish leaders, and he said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me but because they found no cause for a death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. 
This is a big maturity thing. Here's Paul's moment with some Jews in Rome who have no, they don't even know what the story is. And he could have gone on and on and on about his own, how his own brothers in Jerusalem had illegally treated him and mistreated him and the abuse and how they were breaking their own laws. He doesn't say anything. That's a sign of maturity. Just because you can, an opportunity presents itself, doesn't mean you have to. Paul had the perfect opportunity to, be, to tell these guys, hey, let me tell you what they're doing down in Jerusalem. Let me tell you about how they, they literally almost beat me to death with no trial on a false accusation. There was no eyewitnesses. And even the eyewitnesses that they drummed up, none of them told the same story. They wouldn't even show up to court because they knew they were lying. They broke all the laws. They, one dude punched me in the face at the trial. That's against our law. He could have went on to tell these guys, this is how wrong they are. This is how bad they are. This is everything that they've done wrong. He didn't do that at all. He didn't do that at all. I wish I could learn how to do this better, right? Because the, the, the things may come up and you're like, well, let me tell you about so-and-so. And let me just, if they've wronged you in the past, just move on. Just move on. You're not ignoring the pain. You're not doing anything like that. But, but what, would exactly do, what exactly would Paul have accomplished if he went through the laundry list of how each time and how these guys had abused him? What was he going to accomplish? There was no, there was no win in, that, in that, that decision at all. And he's not looking to get these guys on his side. He's looking to get these guys into heaven. And he gets them there not by telling about how wrong other people are. He gets them there by sharing the gospel and how right Jesus is. But he lets them know. He's like, look, here's how I ended up here. There was a trial in Jerusalem. I've been found innocent of all charges multiple times by Festus and Felix and, and Agrippa and all the guys. Nobody can find anything wrong. No one. Innocent of all charges. But that's why I'm here. And he goes on to say in verse 20, I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted. Let me turn my Bible page here. And to explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. This is a big statement to the Jews. The one they've been waiting for forever. The prophecies all talk about the one, the Messiah who would come. The one who, when he showed up, he would uh, give sight to the blind. He would bring back speech to those who, who, were, who couldn't speak anymore. Uh, those who had lost their hearing, the deaf, they would hear again. The dead would live again. The lame would walk again. That's the hope, the hope of Israel, the Messiah. He was going to show up and he was going to do all these things, all the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies, all talked about this one person who would show up at that one time and do, go through the checklist. And he says, I'm in these chains because of the hope of Israel, Jesus, because he's already shown up. Because you guys missed him. Because you guys missed him. 
That's why I'm here. I'm here because of Jesus. Not that it's his fault. I'm here representing Jesus. It's no coincidence that I'm in Rome today. It's no coincidence that you showed up today. He's like, but what I need you guys to understand is that you missed the Messiah. He came, but you guys missed him. You didn't really miss him. You crucified him. You killed him. Just like he said you would. He's still the hope of Israel, though. Please do not miss this. Even today, Jesus is still the hope of Israel. He is not done with the Jews. He has not abandoned the Jews. It's not like, well, I just, I'm not going to love the Jews anymore. It's all going to be about the church. That's not, this is our moment. This is the time, the age of the church right now. He is not done with the Jews. You just got to read, finish reading the story. There's going to be a revival that takes place. Jews are going to get saved. The, the blinders, so to speak, they're going to be removed. And, and man, it's going to be insane. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. But there's this notion that somehow Jesus is done with the Jews and all that stuff. That's not biblical. I hope you understand that. If you hear that teaching going around, that's not biblical. It's not at all. It's not. We've got to read the Bible. We, we need to read the Bible. And here's the other thing, Americans. We need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying for the Jews. We should be burdened to pray for Jews today, every day, because they're still his chosen people. They're beautiful. I've been there three times. Beautiful people. Beautiful. Amazing. Amazing. God's not done with them. There's a plan, and it's, I believe it's getting closer to being to that time period coming, and that, that is fulfilled for sure. There's a movement that's happening. There's a stirring that's kind of going on right now. Uh, Israel is, for the most part, I mean, it's been in the works, but it's kind of coming alive, so to speak. They're, they're getting ready for, you know, temple sacrifices again. They're asking permission to, do, to, to have animal sacrifices. That's a big deal. That's a major, massive, huge deal. All they need is a temple. They have the place. I've been on the Temple Mount. You can build a temple here next to the Dome of the Rock right there. No conflict. They got the plants. They have all the instruments. They got the animals. They're ready. But see, what they're ready for is for the Messiah to show up for the first time. He's already come. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, well, you missed it. He was already here. You missed it but there still is hope for you. Isn't that a beautiful message? Isn't that a beautiful message for Gentiles? Which I am. That even at this stage of my life, I may have missed the Messiah. And then at this stage of the, my life, I missed the Messiah or I rejected the Messiah. Let's be honest, at certain ages, I was flat out rejecting the Messiah. But there was still hope for me. There was still hope for me. And at the right time, at the right moment, for whatever reason, he shows up in my room and I say, I'll f I'm in, man. I'm in. I'll follow you wherever, wherever. I surrender. The hope of Israel is still the hope for you. It's still the hope for me. It's still the hope for your family. It's still the hope for your coworkers. The hope does not go away. In fact, hope 
him, Jesus, our hope still remains today. Paul gets to address these Jews and he's letting them know this and, and he's going to show them, basically he, he follows the model of like teaching them from the Old Testament to the New Testament, so to speak. I, I understand it was being written at that point in time, but he uses the Old Testament to show them, to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Just like Jesus did on the walk to Emmaus with the disciples who didn't even recognize him post-resurrection. And he showed them from Moses all the way through the prophets that he was the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Here's their response, though, as he's talking to them. He, they, they reply, they're like, verse 21, uh, we have no letters from Judea or any reports against you. So word hadn't made it up there yet. From anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement or this group, um, what they would even call it as a cult, this Christian thing, Christianity, the only thing that we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. It's denounced everywhere. Like, people are talking, they're talking trash about Christians. Like, don't get caught up in that thing. And even when the Romans were like, no, nah, don't mess around with that thing. Those guys are weird. They're weird. They're cannibals. They're cannibals? Yeah, they're cannibals. Because once a week they gather together and they eat somebody's body and then they drink his blood. And that's what they thought. And you're like, well, well, that's communion. Well, they thought it was literally happening. And so they're like, no, I'm not going to that church. I wouldn't go to that church either. And be like, wait a minute. Uh, no, because I'm not, no, number one, I, I won't even eat, drink a drink that some old grandma lady spit into. Like, I'm not, drink, I'm not drinking blood and eating somebody's flesh. That's crazy. This is what they thought was kind of going on for the most part. But they thought like they're, they're a group of, they're a rebellious group. They're connected to the Jews. And they, the Romans would always connect the Christians to the Jews, to Judaism and all that stuff. But they're like rebels. They're rebels. They're going against everything. They're, they're, just, they're causing problems everywhere they go. Um, what's so fascinating about that is everywhere they go, they were setting people free. And somehow that's problematic for the world, for people to be set free. The world will stand up and say like, oh no, we want people to be free. We live for freedom. But that's not true. That's never been true of the world. The world has always been about suppression. The world has always been about slavery. It always has been. All world leaders have always been about that, suppressing the people and what you know and what freedoms may be available to you because that's how they control you. All you have to do is go back into Genesis and you see it. There was one guy, one world leader. His name was Nimrod, right? That's a crazy name. Don't, I'm not making that up either. Like, don't name your kid that either, okay? Because you hopefully love your child. But, like, he was the ruler. He was a hunter of people. He, he was one of the first guys who instituted human slavery and trafficking humans. The world has always been about that. So they may, you may see millions of commercials and all this stuff about we're, you know, freedom and we're together and all. It, it's a lie. Please know, it, that's a lie. Christians, Christ followers, 
have always been about freedom. And everywhere this problematic movement has gone, it has set people free. And worldly leaders don't like it. They don't like it. They don't like it when you step into their, into their lands and you show that women have legitimacy, that they actually matter just as much as a man does. You know that's a problem today. We think that's like 2,000 year, years ago problems. When we have friends in the Middle East where if you're a female, you do not matter. You don't matter. Until people start getting saved and Jesus comes onto the scene, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. We all matter. We all matter. Why? Because we're made in his image. See, that happens because of Christians. Gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-focused, living-for-him, kingdom-minded Christians. That was happening in Rome, and they were labeled as a troublesome group because they were proclaiming to people that they didn't want them to know, like, you matter, that you actually have value. That you actually have value. And because of that, because we stand for true freedom, real freedom, not this phony, whatever nonsensical thing that's been going on for the past year or so, Christianity should be about every, everyone, everybody matters because you're made in the image of God. The world will tell you that, but they do not live that way. And I know that because I lived in the world long enough to realize I do not matter to this worldly system. I don't care what color my skin is. It's white. That's who I am, right? I didn't pick it. That's why God made me. But it doesn't matter within it, whatever flawed system, I did not matter in the world's eyes. I did not. Unless I could do something for someone. Unless I could do something for someone then maybe I mattered for only as long as I was useful. Look at any celebrity. They will chew them up and spit them out. And here's Christianity that says, no, look, it doesn't matter what your economical situation is, social status, skin color, none of it doesn't, you have value because you're made in the image of God. For for people who need to hear that, that sets them free. But for a worldly system that's anti-Jesus, they hate that message. They hate that message. So just be aware, as you feel the tension growing even within our own nation, as this gets louder and louder and all that stuff, the freedom that they're preaching and proclaiming is not real freedom at all. It's not. It's a lie. It's a lie. They want people to think that true freedom is found apart from Jesus. You and I know true freedom is only found with Jesus. And you will be a part of a problematic group. You will be a part of a problematic group. And I say amen. I say bring it. Then turn this world upside down. The story's not over. It doesn't matter if our country hates the church or anything. Who cares? Who cares? 
you're here on a mission serving Jesus. Now just do that. Just do that. Understanding you're part of a problematic group of people. You're part of a group of rebels. I love it because naturally that's just who I am. That's just, I mean, that like speaks my, that's my love language, right? Rebellion, that's my love language. I didn't see that in that book I read. There was like five and that wasn't on there. I don't know why, but I'd say bring it. Because this is what it's about. This is, it's, people need to know that true freedom exists, but it's only found within Christ. Verse 23, so the time was set on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus and from the scriptures, using the law of Moses and the books of the prophet, just like he had known. He spoke to them from morning till evening. These are like long Bible studies. Man, if you ever complain about my teachings, like you can just praise God right now because you could be locked up with Paul all day long. I'm just saying. Um, from morning until evening. You're like, yeah, but he's Paul. And I'm like, okay, don't talk to me anymore. Um, all right, that's fine. I agree. I agree with you, okay? That's fine. Verse 24, some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And that's how it goes. You, you can't win them all. It's not about winning them all. You don't win anybody, actually, just so pressure's off. You don't win anybody. Just show up. Just share the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. Others did not believe, and after that, uh, after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. So they saw Jesus, they heard about Jesus, they witnessed all these things. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed eyes, so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, their hearts cannot comprehend or understand, and they cannot turn to me to let, and let me heal them. They're rebellious people right now. But the hope is still there for them. The hope is still there for them. But you can understand the frustration from, you know, there's the Apostle Paul who loves his Jewish brothers and sisters more than anything. And it doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter how many times he says it. It doesn't matter what he does. They can't receive it right then. It doesn't mean that they won't. But they couldn't receive it. The ones who walked away disbelieving, he's like, well, the Holy Spirit talked about you guys. Just a heads up, read your Bibles, because you were mentioned in the Bible back in the Old Testament. Stiff-necked, you know, hard-hearted people. Verse 28, so I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. And that's how Acts ends. And no one tries to stop them. So there's Paul hanging out, retiring, quote unquote, in Rome, right? There's no retirement for Christians. I hope you guys know that. Um, so he has a few years left of his life. He would be released. He would get rearrested. Then he would have his head removed from his body. That's what happened. But from the, to the very end, here you go. Here's what you model. He welcomed all who visited him 
boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and nobody tried to stop him. He just did it until the end, until the very end. This is how he went out. This is how I hope I go out. This is how I hope you go out as well. Talking about Jesus the whole way to the end. And that's the book of Acts, guys. I mean, like I said, Acts 29, it does continue. It's, it's happening right now. You're a part of that. But what would be written about you? I would encourage you, maybe this week, to go back through and read the book of Acts. It's in, in its entirety. And where would you fit in with some of these stories? Currently and actively with what you're doing with Jesus, would, would there be anything written about you? Now, don't take that as a bad way of thinking like, well, nothing I do really matters and all that. No, no, I'm just saying there's plenty of examples all throughout the book where it's like, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're like that Philippian jailer who, you know, at one point in time beat Paul, you know, and then, but then was mending his wounds because he got saved. You know, maybe that's your story. Maybe that's where you would have fit in. Maybe you're, maybe you're like just faithful, you know, deacon. You're just looking to serve somewhere. And you just want to serve widows. You want to serve tables. You see a need and you just want to step in and you want to serve. Maybe that's where you would fit in with the book of Acts as well. We have so many examples through this beautiful book of just believers like you, like me. They were alive when they were alive because that's what God had for them. And they lived where they lived because that's what God had for them. And maybe they went to this place or that place and all, all along the journey, that's fine. But the one thing never changed. They were about Jesus. They were about him. No matter what they did, where they were at, they were just going to talk about Jesus. They were going to share Christ with anybody and everybody who came across their path. Because they realized, like I hope you and I realize today, we are on a mission. You are on a mission. You're not on a vacation. This world is not a vacation. That's going to come. Right now, right here. You're on a mission. So I hope if we learned anything from the book of Acts, it's that, man, our God is a God of activity and movement and power. And he's breaking chains and he's setting people free. You get to be a part of those stories. You get to be a part of those stories. So figure out where it is that he has called you, where he has, you, you know, the giftings that he's given you, and just go nuts for him. Go full on just crazy for Jesus in that sense. Keep it, please, reasonable, not chaotic and embarrassing, right? But dignified, serving Jesus with whatever gift and ability and talent he has given you. He is entrusted with you. And write some stories, guys. Write some stories so that you can tell those who come up behind you, maybe kids, biological, doesn't matter if they're biological or not, little disciples that you've raised up, you share with them the stories and say, let me tell you, let me tell you about some stories of following Jesus. Let me tell you what it was like for me. Let me about to tell you about this time I got shipwrecked on this island. It's called Galveston, right? And you're like, oh, what was that like? Oh, it's crazy. It's nuts. Um, these people never stop partying. I don't know what's wrong with these people. Um, no, but there's people, that's our story. Like, there's people that started a fire for us, for my family, when in one sense or another, we were kind of shipwrecked and landed on this island. 
Well, the natives built us a fire and welcomed us in. And we've been gathering firewood ever since. This is part of our story. What's your story? What journey has he brought you on? So I'm going to pray. I'll leave that little seed for you guys to contemplate, to think about, and just to pray. Be like, Lord, what's my story? What do you have for me? He will tell you. So let me pray, and then we're just, we'll close out the service, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much that um, you chose us. I, I, I don't know, Lord. I, I know I didn't choose you. <laughs> um, Lord, I, I, in, in my best estimation, I don't even know why you picked me. But you chose us. You knew what you were getting when you got us, Lord. You're not surprised by our, our flaws and our sinfulness and all that stuff, Lord. You love us so much. And you love us so much that you didn't even just die on the cross for us. You rose from the grave, and the story doesn't even end there. You bless us with talent. You bless us with gifts and abilities. And you've given us opportunities to be able to use that for your kingdom. So may we be on mission for you, Jesus, with whatever it is that you bless us with. The conversations we have would be honoring to you. I pray, Lord, that you would open up plenty of ways for us to be able to share your gospel with people. So we just thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back. You are coming back. And this place is not our home. But home is coming. But until we get there, Lord, may we just be found faithful, serving you. Man, just taking, taking hold of every single minute, every single opportunity that you've blessed us with to proclaim you. So I thank you for the book of Acts. I thank you for where it is you'll have us going next. And we got Palm Sunday and Easter and all that stuff coming up, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you've given us so many reasons to celebrate you. And we just, uh, we love you so much. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.